talking to a lady in the grocery store one time. Uh, she lived in Maine. And I asked her, I said, I said, have you been, because Maine is close to, to Massachusetts, okay? And Massachusetts is where Plymouth Rock was. And I thought, hey, you know, that'd be a great trip someday to go see Plymouth Rock. And so I was asking her, and, uh, and I said, so have you seen Plymouth Rock? She said, oh, yeah, see, it's just a little rock like that. She said, I don't big deal was. And I thought, wait a minute. You know, it's Plymouth Rock. I mean, it's the it's the, the thing. I mean, it's the, you know, the pilgrims came over and landed on Plymouth Rock. And I thought, well, maybe they weren't very tall. I, I wasn't sure, you know, kind of what that was leading to. So you know, the whole idea was that some people make a small thing, you know, very big. You know, a small rock has big significance, right? To some people, um, it doesn't have any significance at all. Now, I tell you that because First uh, Peter, I'll give you the background here in just a moment. Peter is writing uh, a letter right, to, some, to some people, and uh, it has this, this complicated kind of, it's not complicated, well, it is complicated kind of ge geography. But the whole idea is that he wants to send a message. Okay? He wants to send a message to these people about something very small to the world, but very big to us. Very small to the world, very big to us. Okay, to the world, our our relationship with God sometimes is called a very small thing. In fact, it's ridiculed. <coughs> sometimes it's made fun of. Made sometimes people dismiss it. They discourage it. Uh, they try to argue around it. Uh, I've heard all kinds of people say all kinds of things about. Well, you know, the interpretation of the Bible is flawed because of this, this, and this, and you know, kind of thing. All these, you know, and they've got these, you know degrees and things that make people think well maybe I should doubt who I am and what I do. That's right. Not that, not that I'm trying to take away from their education but honestly folks, some things, just, it is what it is. Okay? It is our salvation. Do not make light of a small thing like my salvation. Okay? Because it's not small to me. Okay? It is my, my hope. Okay? It is my peace. Now, let's go back Peter, we know Peter. Peter's one of our favorite people in that he is a whole lot like us, impetuous. He's uh, uh, rash sometimes, uh, but he's always spot on with uh, his loyalty to Jesus. Right? He always comes back to that, and I'm very proud of him for that because it gives me hope. But we know Peter, day of Pentecost, when you look at Acts chapter 2, remember Acts chapter 2, he stands up to preach with the, with, the, with, the, with the other disciples, the other apostles, stands up to preach, and then Luke records there that these, all these countries that, that are represented there. There were Jews in the city from all these different places, and among them were, and let me read this from, from chapter 1, verse 1 of First Peter, from Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, that means absolutely nothing to you, for the most part, unless you're just really, you know, a, 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 a Bible student that likes geography. That compromises most of what is now Turkey. Turkey and over into um, Iran, Iraq, kind of thing. So we have these in, in chapter 1, verse 1. Peter uses a word that says that they're scattered. The word there is diaspora. Okay, so um, we would, we would some, maybe some would jump to the conclusion that he's writing to the Jews that became Christians in Jerusalem and then had gone home. That's a possibility. But he uses, in chapter 2, he uses a, a phrase. He says, once you are not a people of now, you are a people. God called you out of darkness into his light. And that's not how you talk to God's people.
people, the Hebrew people. Okay, so obviously there are some other, some other things there. So there are Gentiles then who are now people of God who were not people of God before. And so with that, I think you know the conclusion is the deduction I can reach is that Peter's writing everybody. But they started in Jerusalem, went to Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world, and ended up back home, maybe. Uh, or at least they knew of Peter because of the gospel. Now, having said that, that's the only reason I can figure that, that there would be somebody there that would know Peter. Because they heard the gospel, or were sharing the gospel. Right? Now, in Acts chapter 15, you'll remember, the Jerusalem council, Peter... Uh, gets up and talks about how God had you know, shared with the Gentiles the, the, the outpouring of the Spirit and how they were now Christians and that they, we, should be, you know, we should be together in one body under Christ and that we are His church. The, the council agrees. And you know, Peter you know, basically says, you know, I'm going to focus my attention here you know, with, the, with the Hebrew Christians. Paul says, well, I'm going to go to the Gentile Christians. And so that, there's another part of the puzzle. What do you write to people, though? What the, what, why, why is First Peter so important? Nobody has any problem that Peter wrote it, by the way. Okay. Um, so you have a group of people, and you have to kind of see what's going on. There's, there's trouble brewing in the Nar Hills, as we say. Um, is that Nero has ascended to the throne. Okay, we know Nero okay, from, from history, uh, the Caesar in, in Rome at this time. And it was... Probably during this time in the, in the 30 to 35, 40 years past the crucifixion of Jesus. And, and Nero is, for whatever purpose, is blaming Jews, okay? Blaming Jews for, uh, for a lot of his problems. Okay, you have to find somebody to blame. So, uh, and so he, uh, he was looking for someone. And so he begins this, and this begins what comes to fruition in AD 70 when the temple is destroyed. Uh, we have the, the massacre of the Sada, uh, and, you know, and all those things that were prophesied in, uh, in Mark chapter 13. Peter does not necessarily make mention of those in his letter. He doesn't say it has already happened, but he says that there are fiery trials coming on in chapter 1, starting in verse 5. So we're living in a time of uncertainty. Right? Um, best to say that this persecution has started, that it's widespread, and that it's not just Romans against Christians. It's anywhere where Christians live, where they show themselves to be different than the world around them. And I say that because... The places that he's writing, Bithynia, Pontus, Cappadocia, are some of the far reaches of the Roman Empire. So you're looking at Peter's message, and what does he want to tell them? What do you tell a group of people who face uncertain times? What do you tell a group of people who get persecuted for simply being good people? Now hold that thought for just a moment. You've identified yourself as a Christian. And you meet for worship. You you uh, you hold Jesus up to the world. You're a good person, and yet you still you still get persecuted. In fact, persecution becomes kind of personal because over in chapter three, he's going to talk about how you don't you don't do the things you used to do. 
the flood of dissipation, he says. Uh, and you don't, you don't do the things you, in the wild carousing and partying that you used to do. You're different now. You are spiritually forming, he says in chapter 2, starting in verses 1 and 2, because you're like, you're like spiritual babes who crave that pure spiritual milk of the word. So you've got some folks here who are forming. They're growing in their faith, right? maturing. They uh, have left an old way of life. They are embracing Christianity, and they feel kind of, um, what's the word? How would you feel? Maybe isolated? You know, lonely? Okay, kind of thing. Uh, kind of, maybe you feel like an alien. Now, that's, that's different for us because we grew up in a time where alien meant somebody from outer space. Uh, for them, an alien, like it does for most of us, uh, is someone who doesn't belong, okay, or who's different where they live, okay? Uh, and I don't say doesn't belong so much as they're just different, okay? Uh, they live in a place, but they're from another place. And Peter's going to remind them, turn over to chapter 5. I often find a clue of why Peter, or why writers write when I look at the end of the letter, because in chapter 5, he says, this is why I wrote to you. Always like that. He goes, goes through all of this. He talks to him and talks to him and talks to him. And then at the end he says, and this is why I wrote okay? He says, all of this, I wrote all this. Through, through Sylvanus, our faithful brother, he says, verse 12, or so I regard him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in now stop for a moment. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. We've run across Mark before, Gospel of Mark, uh, Paul and Mark, you know, in Acts. Here, Mark is with Peter, obviously. Where is Babylon? We'll talk to them. Okay. Um, you can go east or west or south. Okay. Babylon is either the Babylon uh, that's over in Mesopotamia, okay, high, you know, that, that's somewhat unlikely. Um, Babylon could be west, could be Rome, okay, which everybody wants it to be, so they kind of make it that way. Uh, or Babylon could be Jerusalem, okay, um, because those were, were words that were interchanged with that. So wherever Peter is, he's calling it Babylon, not point of letter. Point of letter was, this is the true grace of God. Interesting idea. You need to underline that phrase right there in chapter 5 and verse 12. This is the true grace of God. What is the true grace of God? Okay. Is that, you know, it's Ali Ali opted free? Is that what we're talking about here? I think not. Peter just gets five chapters talking about all these other things. The true grace of God is something a little more gritty. Right? It gives you some traction in some hard times. You're, 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 the grace of God is going to be tested. You're going to suffer for doing good. You're going to follow the example of Jesus. You're going to leave a former way of life. You're going to prepare for the coming judgment. You know, you're going to, to encourage people to be baptized, chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. You know, and all of that, you are a different person. That's the true grace of God. <coughs> Is that you're going to stand up and remember who you are. And that is going to give you Strength, purpose. So when you leave here tonight,
tonight, if I could just quickly go through some things in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. If, uh, if I could leave you with anything tonight, what I want you to do is I want you to get in First Peter this week, because this is just an overview. But get in First Peter, and I want you to get in that book, and I want you to read that, read that thing. Okay? I love First Peter. I love First Peter. It has this really incredible theology about we are holy because God is holy, because we've been made holy through Jesus Christ. Never take that for granted and never discount it. Don't cheapen that. Be who you are in Jesus, he says. Let's talk about it. Now, so Peter writes this letter. I've got to find my place in my nose. I digress. All right. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. You ever do that? Just kind of wander off. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, you your text may say, strangers, sojourners. Yes, strangers. Sojourners, okay, good, okay, aliens, uh, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, uh, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. There's a whole sermon of that. Let me do it quickly. They point to you four things in the opening of two verses. First of all, what he talks about, chapter 5, because Peter's writing us, this is the true grace of God, that we stand firm in what we know. What's he telling us? He introduces that in the first two verses by saying, you are pilgrims of faith. Um, You are exiles. You are, well, you go to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. It says that Abraham was someone like us. He is someone like us because he goes out not really knowing where, where it's going to end up, but he trusts God. Every step forward is a step in faith because even when he pitches his tent, all right, he, uh, he looks to where God's going to lead him next. And that's sort of us, isn't it? Okay? That's sort of us. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. All right? So having said that, he says, so we live with that. We live with that promise that God's going to take care of us. We live with that elusiveness that, you know what, it's not always going to be what everybody else has. Because what we have is much better. We have to trust that. We have to trust that. So, you are a pilgrim. You are headed toward your heavenly home. In fact, it introduces the second word he uses. You are God's chosen one. Okay, you're chosen one. You're elect according, he says, to the foreknowledge of God. Foreknowledge. Okay, the word foreknowledge there is the word prognosis. You ever heard that word before? Prognosis. Okay. You go to a doctor, you get a prognosis. Okay. Uh, a diagnosis says, I'm looking at all your symptoms, I think this is what's wrong with you. A prognosis says, this is what you have, this is where it's going to go. Right? Okay. So, prognosis. God prognosis that his people all right, were going to be something different. Okay? They were going to be his elect, according to the foreknowledge of God. So, when you look at that, you're thinking, all right, God knew, the prognosis was that if I do this work in Jesus Christ, if I do the plan of salvation, the redemptive plan of God throughout the Bible, if I bring the cross to fruition and pay for the sins of man with the death of my son, the prognosis is there are people who respond in faith, and they're going to come, and I'm going to shower them with my grace I'm going to save them through his blood, and they're going to be my people. Doesn't matter what their background is. 
Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, they're going to be my people. We're going to be his people by his foreknowledge. He knew that's what was going to happen. Thank you, God, for that, for that vote of confidence that he knew you would hear the word and that you would respond in faith that way. The third thing he says is that you exist for holy purposes. Peter writes and he says, you are then God's chosen ones by the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Right? How many of you, when you get up in the morning, drink coffee? Anybody? You can confess, it's okay. Now, how many, how many of you have a favorite coffee mug? Most of them say cup, okay? All right, you got a favorite mug, okay? When I was growing up, I had this coffee mug, all right, that I learned to drink coffee in, all right? I was about old Harris's age. And I would, uh, and, and back then, uh, we were taught to drink coffee because it was one part coffee, one part sugar, one part milk. Am I right? Okay. And, and they put it, in the, and the way I knew how much to mix was I would pour in the milk first, okay? And there was a spot on the inside of that mug, all right? And I would pour the milk to that spot, okay? I would put in three lumps of sugar, or three, three teaspoons, I love sugar. And sure, and I fill it up with coffee. This was my coffee. Okay, I now drink it black, just so you know. Um, but the idea was every day I found that cup the other day. I was back home. Okay, this past week I found that cup. Okay, um, still has the same mark on it. Kind of thing. If you take that and you drink out of that same cup, you set that cup in a special place. In the cabinet, so you know where it is in the morning, right? Because that's basic. When you're kind of bleary eyed, you're just kind of stumbling in there for your coffee kind of thing. You're looking at always reach inside. When you set that aside, it's special. It's in a special place for a special purpose, right? You have humanly sanctified that cup. You have set it apart for a special purpose. When you're talking about God and His people. He says, this is the idea. It goes back to Leviticus when God says, "When I have redeemed you." When I have sacrificed for you, I am taking you then, and I am setting you apart, and setting you apart in a special place as a special for a special purpose, and you are my special vessel. All right, that's called sanctification. Okay, that's what happens to us in Jesus Christ. <coughs> that's really cool. Just to use a word, all right, because God, okay, God has done this for us. Now remember, hold on to that. Okay? By the blood of Jesus, set apart for his purpose, you know, in his place. Where does God put Christians? He puts them in a church. Isn't that right? Okay, that's where he puts them. Okay? So we're set apart in a special place and for a special purpose as a special vessel. You are here because God has redeemed you and because of that you are special to him. Now, how did that happen? Well, he said you were sanctified in the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1. Turn over there with me. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He said, you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In him, when you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now I'm going to go back and look at that. There are two things I want you to notice. First of all, he says, you heard the word. You believed the word. <coughs> you were then sealed with God's Holy Spirit. When did that happen? 
go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. When the people heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? 237, 238. Peter answers and said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes? So when you were immersed into Christ by faith and what God was doing for you in his sanctification and redemption and forgiveness, he marked you, sealed you, guaranteed you through the Holy Spirit to be his person. Now, feel better? No. You're all right. Having said that, we are here for a holy purpose then. Look at, look at chapter 1, verse 2, in this way. He says, you have, have a life approved by God. And he says, it's approved by God, sprinkled with his blood. That's an Old Testament reference. goes back to Leviticus and the sacrificial system. Because when the sacrifice was made, the blood was then sprinkled on the people to signify now you have been touched by this sacrifice. Because of that, you are now identified. Remember, we talked a long time, you know, a couple weeks ago about, about having the doorposts. Remember the doorposts and the blood and all that? Okay? If you remember all that conversation, then this is what you're alluding to. Now, he leaves you with two words. And this is the two words I want to leave you with. Whatever you're facing, Peter says in 1 Peter, you can meet it with your faith in a Jesus you've never seen but believe in. You can meet it with the example of Christ. You can meet it with the Word of God. You meet it with the fellowship of Christians around you. And you do that so that other people don't have anything. If they have something bad to say, they have to say, you know what? They just care too much about people. They just help too many poor folks. You know, they just take in too many you know, people who are strays. You know, they just you know, they give too much time you know, spreading the Word of God. You know, those people just need to spend more time watching TV. Those people just need to spend more time on themselves. Those people need to spend more time you know, going to the spa. Those people just need to do that. And it just kind of sounds what? It sounds different, doesn't it? It sounds different. Two words to leave you with. And it leaves you with those in chapter 1, verses 1 and 10. Grace and peace be yours. If Peter ends his book in chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And what he's encouraging you to do is to be the pilgrim. It's not a small thing, this grace of God. It is our rock. And that grace, okay, Jesus did not die for the timid, but for those who through him would take their stand in the shadow of his cross with their faces toward heaven. And we are that people. And that's what Peter's writing. And he says, grace and peace. Be patient. Wait on God to deliver you from this ordeal that you face. The fiery trial of the yours. And when you do, Paul says it this way in Romans 14, verse 8. If we, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. He says, so whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And that is all the peace you need. We are safe in the arms of Jesus. And that's Peter's message to us, I believe. You go read the book and see if you're not encouraged as well. But the invitation to you tonight is this. Whatever you're facing, wherever you are going, remember you are God's special person. Because he knew about you long ago. And through Jesus Christ, we are his sanctified people. Grace and peace to you.
mean to respond to the invitation tonight in order to accept that grace, to be baptized into Jesus Christ, or to repent of sin. We can pray with you, help you, assist you in any way. Would you come to the front and make your need known as together with Amen.